everybody. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Young Adult Podcast here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. We are in the middle of our series, Straight Out of Context. I'm John Lemons, the minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church. I'm joined, like I have been every week, by Sam Maxwell. He's our ministry resident to young adults. Sam, how are we doing? Doing pretty good. You know, now that the we had that storm that passed through the other night, it just looks like pretty skies for the next couple of days, and that's hard to not like here in spring. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great, uh, especially springtime. It's been great spring weather here. It's been really lovely. Hopefully it's still that way by the time people listen to this recording. I'm not sure. And uh, we said this last week as well. We've had a few reviews come in or been sent to us, you know, via text message or email, Facebook Messenger, that sort of thing. And we just want to say thank you all for your kind words. Uh, Hopefully this will continue to uh, speak to you and, and be meaningful to you in the coming days and weeks. Uh, we do want to let you know, uh, send in any questions you might have, follow-up questions, or maybe there's something you'd like us to address that we haven't addressed so far uh, or don't have plans to address so far in this podcast. So we'd love to know if, if we can do a end wrap-up video or, or end wrap-up podcast episode where we can address some of your questions, either about verses we have covered or verses we haven't. And uh, just so you know as well, we have an upcoming event in June. We're going to be going to the Trash Pandas game on June 6th, and that'll be an afternoon game with an all-you-can-eat buffet as well. That's for all young adults. You don't have to be at First Baptist Church. You just have to be in North Alabama. So we'd love for you to join us there. You can find information on that at fbchsv.org slash fellowships. And then also, so you know, we are planning a four-week podcast series once we are done with this one. So we'll have at least this episode and two more, and then a wrap-up video if we get any questions, Sam. And then after that, we'll do a four-week series on another topic and then probably take a break for for a while with the summertime. So just so you know out there, uh, whoever is listening, um, those are our upcoming plans. And like I said, we invite you to participate in whatever way that you can. I will say on this one, on this episode, I have heard, or at least with this series, Sam, I've heard a rumor that one of our own, Tiffany Fanning, has been warning people to be careful. Because one of the things we do here... At First Baptist Church is when when we dedicate children, we will ask the family to pick a life verse for the child and and we'll put that on display and everything. And apparently Tiffany Fanning has gone around warning people that uh, they better be careful and not pick a wrong verse or take a a verse out of context and use it for their child's life verse (laughs) or they will be judged by John Lemons. And I just have to say, she's absolutely correct. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. I was going to say, for everyone who's listening, uh, the Fannings are fantastic people, even though they have a stroller to walk their cat outside. Um, th- this is true. <laughs> good people. We're, we're only only teasing them about this, uh, judging folks for using scripture the wrong way. Yeah, no, I absolutely would not do that because honestly, I've seen it. I've seen it so much. It's just pretty commonplace. I do judge like pastors when they do it because you know we should know better but uh otherwise you know you know and i've done a lot of this myself and so if you're here and you're listening to this it's because you want to learn it's because you want to know and you want to appreciate the bible more mm-hmm. so i can't i can't fault anybody for that definitely wouldn't would wouldn't judge anybody for for not knowing yeah and, that, and that's what this is this you know this podcast is a no judgment zone you know i think we've both mentioned a couple of times that we've used some of these different verses in ways that we now recognize Ah, probably shouldn't have used it that way. Um, even right. today's, and we'll get to it shortly, um, as I was reading through the show notes, I was like, yep, I can distinctly remember a time where I used this one incorrectly. So it's all oh. about learning and growing and doing it better the next time. Oh man, I've preached entire sermons that, like I look back now and I'm like, 
I'm glad there wasn't the internet when I when I preached <laughs> that, or it wasn't as big of a deal when when I did. So that's mm-hmm. just a common thing that we all go through, and we all grow together and and grow as a result of each other. So that's what that's what this show is for. So mm-hmm. uh, with all that said, Sam, um, before we get into today's episode, tell me what's the hardest job you've ever had in uh, your life? Being married? No, just kidding. It's wonderful. I just like to tease about my wife every time I get a chance. She is the darling, the apple of my eye. Um, does she at least listen to our show? Because mine doesn't. Yeah, I don't think mine does either. I was yeah, going to say, I was also going to make a shout out to all of you who this is your first podcast or your first episode. We're glad that you're here and shame on you for not starting with episode one. Um, so nice. go back and listen. But my hardest job, I think, had to have been a little side job that I did for a family friend where behind their business out in the middle of nowhere, it just got completely overgrown. So they would pay me 20 bucks to come out for like four hours um, on the weekend and just cut down everything and dodge snakes and poison ivy and whatever else. And we only had an SUV at the time and they didn't have a lawnmower. So I would have to load the lawnmower into our car and all of the other stuff um, without ramps, just straight up lifting, go out, spend a couple hours doing all that chopping. It was it was grueling for 20 bucks. And $20 for the whole day. 20 bucks. Yeah. This was a you different a, era. Yeah. Different you got era. a bad deal on that. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, yeah, mine would probably be, I've shared the story before about how I worked at Cracker Barrel. I shared that in a sermon here before. Um, I was I was a dishwasher. Um, it was a summer job one year after, uh, I think my first or second year of college. And I had applied to be either a server or a host. And first day, I'm back in the dishwashing room. It was a Friday. So I, Friday dinner was my first shift. And I, it was the closing shift, so the, the dishwashers are the last one to leave. So I think I got out of there at 2 in the morning. Second shift was Saturday lunch and dinner, and third shift was Sunday lunch and dinner. And I really I realized quickly, because every every night I was, I was closing with the closing dishwasher, and he was showing me everything. And I realized, like, they're training me to be the, the closing dishwasher, and I don't, I don't want to <laughs> spend my summer working until 2 a.m. And so I had put out for some other jobs and one called me. I had Monday and Tuesday off and one called me Monday and was like, hey, can we interview you and can you start tomorrow? And I was like, yes. (laughs) So I quit my Cracker Barrel dishwashing job after three days. And and there's another story there about how one of my coworkers thought I was high. Um, I was not. I was not anything close to it, but he thought I was. And so I'll share that story another day. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, Um, I, uh, I worked at IHOP when I was in high school. Um, just to get a little bit of pocket money. And I remember talking about hard jobs, and I was a dishwasher. Um, The guy I went to school with, and he said, tonight when you go home, you're going to think to yourself, what have I done? Why am I doing this? This is the worst. He's like, and you just have to know that it's going to happen and just make yourself come back tomorrow, and everything will be okay. Just just get over the first day, the first hump, and then just it'll be okay. It'll get better. Yeah, no, and I feel for restaurant workers, man, especially in the pandemic that we've we've been through. They just, they put up with so much. They don't get paid well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, people are extremely rude to them. The job is high demand. It's it's very physically taxing. Have a lot of sympathy for that. That's that's just based on my three day experience. Uh, <laughs> I would say the other really hard job I had was with a company called RGIS, and I don't remember what the RG stand stood for, but the other was inventory specialist or something like that. And it too was a summer job, and this was a company that would be contracted by other companies to come and do inventory. So if you've ever worked retail, you you've done inventory and the, the large companies who could afford to would not even ask that of their employees. They, they would get us to do it. And so Home Depot, Lowe's, um, there was a place called MJ Designs, which is kind of like 
Michael's or Hobby Lobby. So it's an arts and crafts store. Those kind of places would contract with RGIS. And so I, that was my job. It was to go do inventory. And this was another job that, I mean, you had to do it when the store was closed. If Every now and then we had a job that we would do it while people were there, but they really, you know, the, the business is really to have an accurate inventory. You want to do it when people aren't going to buy stuff before you're finished with your count. And so we did that kind of stuff all the time. And, and Home Depot and the arts and crafts stores were always the hardest ones because, I mean, you've got to count every nut and bolt and screw and you've got to count I had one of the arts and crafts stores that I did. My responsibility one time was doing the, um, like the, the fake flowers. I had to count every single one of those. <laughs> and I will just go ahead and confess the summer of, I think it was 97 or 98, the arts and crafts store, I got put on the, on the fake flowers and they did not get an accurate count <laughs> that year. So I'll just go ahead and confess that. So I was probably a tie for those two for my hardest job ever, but that, Segways really into what we're talking about today. So today's episode, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And so here's what the verse says. It, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the reason we talked about hard jobs is because pe- people will typically shorthand this verse to God's going to never give you more than you can handle, right? Particularly, we're talking about burdens or just hard times in life. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything close to that, that God will never give you more than you can handle. But you hear that all the time. And, and really, the closest thing to that is this verse. So people will take this verse and sort of paraphrase it into this, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. But again, that is nowhere in the Bible. So honestly, this this may be more of a Bible-ish kind of take. We did a Bible study on that last summer, Sam, where we talked about here are things that sound like they're in the Bible or that people say are in the Bible, but they're really not. And this would be uh, one of those cases. I've seen memes of this verse or of this version of this verse verse as stuff like, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. He just sometimes has more faith in us than we do ourselves. (laughs) Nope. Doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. There's another one. It's a Twitter account called Bible Quotes. And uh, this is from God's perspective. It says, I will never give you more than you can take. I will let you bend, but I will never let you break. That rhymes, not in the Bible. And uh, I'm sorry, Bible quotes, Twitter account. (laughs) You're not quoting the Bible there. And then uh, another one from Joel Osteen Ministries. Uh, He's got a meme that says, God will not give you more than you can handle. If you face a big challenge, you have a big destiny. And uh, that sounds great in a health and wealth prosperity gospel mantra, but that is not what the Bible says. So, um, and I would say we use this verse in that way at times when, just like with Romans 8, 28, we'll use this attempt at a verse when people are experiencing some sort of loss in their lives. So if a loved one passes away or someone loses a job or a boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse dumps or divorces someone, someone will reach out and say, you can do it. God wouldn't give this to you if you couldn't do it. Right. So that's how people attempt to use this verse, but that's not what this verse says. And in fact, the whole point of the Bible is for you to look at it, to read it, to weigh it, to examine it, and reflect on your life and on your heart and come to the conclusion that you can't do it and that you need someone to do it for you. Uh, there's another quote by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says this, We do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So again, this idea that God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle, A, is not found in the Bible, and B, contradicts what is found 
in the Bible. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. John, you know, earlier you said it's a poor paraphrase, and maybe it's just the way that we often see it as like memes or snippets. But a lot of these people don't even try to give a biblical reference so you can go and look at it. Um, And it feels more... That's true. It feels more like they use their snipping tool on their computer to just snap something, completely remove anything that it could be attached to and just say, well, I want it to mean this, right? And, you know, for as much as it sounds like there will be more fish in the sea when you have a breakup, I think any power that is meant to be in the text is completely removed as well. And it becomes nothing, right? So you can tell someone like, oh, you can never have more than you can handle. But because it's not attached to the biblical witness, I think it loses all of its power along the way with it. Um, So I think that's really disappointing as someone who has spent a lot of time studying the Bible. And, you know, I recognize that there's so much depth and richness to the Bible. I've used richness a couple of times that, you know, our instinct is to want to give someone something to someone when they're suffering. And when we give them these things, like it, it just gives them nothing, right? It's it's like wanting sushi and stopping at the gas station and getting it there. Like that's not sushi. Like you're going to get sick from that. Like read the Bible, find something that's going to be good. It's going to be wholesome. And then give that to them when they're struggling. Don't trust on these little snippets. And we talked about that a little bit, I think it was last week, where we talked about weeping with those who weep and, mm-hmm. and imitating Christ, modeling Christ in that way. He does that when he goes to see Martha and Mary when Lazarus dies. And that's where we get the verse that Jesus wept. So yes, like we want to try, it's in our nature to try to fix things or try to offer comfort that a lot of times when you talk to people who are going through tragedy, these sorts of sayings don't really offer a lot of comfort and they, they often make people upset and angry. So don't use... A, this isn't even a verse, but don't, don't use this saying to try to offer comfort in, in a situation like that. It's okay to just put your arm around someone and say, I don't know why this is happening, or I feel bad, or, or just give them a hug and just cry with them and don't say anything. That's okay. And if you if you want more about that, go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, you know, as we as we do get back to it, uh, one of the interesting things is a lot of people create like this idea that this is about burdens, but it's really not about burdens. It's about temptations, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's about temptation, not about burden. And when I think about temptation for me, like I always think about my dogs. So I have a puppy now. His name's Oscar. He's a little sneaky because he's, you know, he's not yet a year old. And if anybody's ever had a, a puppy, you know, the kind of things they get into. But my dog, Al, he was the first dog we ever had. He was a German Shepherd mutt, and uh, he was rather rather large, rather um, rambunctious and, and high energy and that sort of thing. I remember one time we were in our first house and we were, we had gone, our kitchen was in the back of the house and our living room was in the front of the house. And I think Emily was making something for dinner and gotten out a raw chicken breast and had it on a cutting board on our counter. and stepped away for a minute and then came back and the, and the entire breast was gone. <laughs> and uh, we discovered through an, a small investigation that our shepherd had stood up, you know, put his paws on the, on the counter and scarfed down the, the chicken breast. And we had to, we had to make him um, throw it up. We had to take him outside. That was a whole ordeal as well. But he had swallowed that thing whole, man. So like it was, it was crazy. And then another time we had walked in and uh, we had just gotten home from school or work or wherever because I was still a student when we were in this house and grabbed some Taco Bell for dinner. And I remember setting it down on the coffee table in our living room and walking back into the kitchen to get some drinks and went back into the living room and my bag was still there. And the the wrappers that the tacos came in were still in the bag. But somehow that dog had had kind of wedged his, his nose and his mouth into the wrappers and pulled out the tacos without fully unwrapping the wrappers and had eaten all of my tacos. 
so when I think about temptation, like I, th- I think of those two stories with, with my dog Al because he just could not resist the temptation whenever th- something like that was uh, was placed right in front of him. Now, he wasn't obedience trained, obviously. We're working on that with Oscar and it's really cute. We've, we've got something we're working on with him now where we will take a treat and drop it on the floor or I'll hold it in my hand and just say, I'll just say, leave it. And he will look at it and he's not supposed to take it. And, and so we're working on that. And when he gets it, when he does it right, he just looks at it and he'll like, he'll crouch down and he'll do all these things and he'll whine at me and he'll bark at me, but he won't, he won't take it. He'll just look at it. And it's really cute. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. So he can, he's starting to learn how to resist the temptation, but, but Al just wasn't obedience trained. He <laughs> couldn't handle it. And uh, just kind of, that's, that's what I think about when I think about this idea of temptation and being able to handle or not handle what you can bear. And so this verse does say that, that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear and that he will provide a way out. So I want to talk about that a little bit. What happens when you feel like you can't bear it? What happens when you do give in to the temptation? And as always, when we dive into these things, we'll take a look at the context. We'll take a look at the four general rules or approaches that I take into interpretation that I've learned along the way. So again, we've we've kind of covered this every week, but the first context, number one, how does it apply to the life of Jesus or the life of the author? In this case, that would be Paul. Um, number two, do you only see one translation used? Number three, what did it mean to the original hearers? And number four, let's interpret the Bible with the Bible. So we talked about a, number one a little bit earlier when we talked about Paul's life, and I read the passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, as for number two, do you only see one translation used? Um, sort of. I mean, it's not even really a verse the way that, that we hear it. So yeah, it's definitely taken out of context when you when you look at it th- that way. Mm-hmm. I do like the way the New Living Translation translates First First Corinthians 10, 13. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So I do like the, the, the way they translate it there. Uh, number three, what did it mean to the original hearers? We'll talk about that here shortly and about why Paul specifically is writing this this passage. And then number four, interpret the Bible with the Bible. We'll do that especially as well since, again, the way you hear this isn't actually a Bible verse. You know, we we did that first episode, I guess, to episode zero. And if you're listening to this, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode zero um, because I noticed that between a couple of the weeks, John, number one has added, or the life of the author. I don't think that was originally there. But Dr. Still said something in the first week that if the author could not have intended it and the audience could not have understood it in a way, it cannot mean that thing. Um, so that's kind of always stuck with me. And I think that's been great. Um, and it's definitely one of those pieces of wisdom I want to stick through. But all of these will be in the show notes. If there's something when you do your uh, Bible reading that you you like to use as a guiding principle, let us know. We'd like to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, again, this isn't really about receiving burdens that you cannot bear. You're going to encounter burdens in your life that you cannot bear. And this is consistent with the rest of scripture. So let's look at a few passages that that illustrate this for us. So number one, Galatians chapter six, verses one and two. This is again, Paul writing and he says, brothers, and this would include brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And that gets back to what we talked about with Matthew 18, by the way, when we talked about the whole point of what's going on in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them. The whole point of that is it's talking about not making anybody stumble and, and restoring those who have. So this is Paul reiterating that again. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
And then he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I find it really interesting that Paul in Galatians 6 there says, bear one another's burdens. This is a clue to us that the Bible cannot be saying that you won't receive burdens that you can't bear because otherwise other people wouldn't be asked to bear your burdens with you Mm -hmm. if your burdens weren't going to be too big for you to bear. So that's a key component of Christian fellowship and Christian brotherhood and sisterhood is, is walking through this life together and leaning on one another and bearing one another's burdens because our burdens will be greater than we can bear. So that's, again, not what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is saying. Mm-hmm. Another passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, and this is Paul writing again, and he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take away this, he, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And he says, each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we'll talk a little bit more about that idea here in a few moments. And then we see even in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, he says to his disciples, my soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So we even see Jesus with a burden that is almost too great for him to bear. So this idea that God's never going to give you anything more than you can handle just isn't a biblical concept that we find in the Bible. It's clearly possible to be burdened beyond your ability to bear. And according to Paul, this is so that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God, and so that we may boast in our weaknesses. So we looked at that in 1 Corinthians 12. So this, you know, what does this look like in real life? You know, it could be you saying, man, I really stink at controlling my anger, right? So like, I'm going to go ahead and boast in that weakness, but God's grace is good. And then you turn to your brother or your sister, you say, can you help me? Can you, can you call me out? A lot of men struggle with ego, struggle with pride, struggle with pornography. And so this is sort of a call to recognize that, to boast in this weakness in order to recognize the magnificence and the grace of Jesus as well. And then to use that to get help. And if you're a woman, you might be struggling with some of these same issues. Maybe sometimes you, you struggle with envy. Maybe sometimes you don't give yourself enough grace or forgiveness or permission to not be perfect. I think that's especially the case here in the South. So the same thing would apply there, like own that weakness, boast in that weakness, because it helps you see and, and, and really focus more in on the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the power that he gives you to live beyond that, to, to see that weakness as a tool that God gives you to use then to lean more on God, to be more like God and to rely on him more often. Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, John, I was having dinner with Deb and Alan Hirsch and Alan said something. Wait, that, that's a name drop, by the way. Oh, yeah. For, name drop. For those who knew Alan Hirsch that you would know. What I'm um, about. Probably 90% of our people have no idea. Yeah. Um, look them up. Read their books. And he said something that was really interesting, that the, the biggest difference between in men and women is that men want to see, like, they lust after physical nakedness. Women lust after the hidden nakedness. He said, you know, why does that explain why you have so many tabloids and other news sources that want to tell you about all the dirty dealings in people's lives? You know, it, it's it's almost like those tabloids and things are the hidden types of pornography, whereas men seek after the more overt and outwardly facing uh, types of pornography, just to add on to what you were saying. But back to some of the, the scripture verses you gave us and even our topic, you and I have talked about it recently, but just this understanding of what is church and what does it mean to be the church, um, especially as we come back from COVID and see people coming back into the church buildings and reintegrate into life together. And I know I've harped on it before, but the way we often take this verse is God cannot give you in singular anything you cannot handle. But then Paul in these other writings, um, 
Matthew, of course, is not by Paul, but it's devoid of this idea of singleness, right? It takes you back to in the community of people that God has given you, you share these things together, you do these things together, you share life together in commitment. Um, so as it relates to coming back together, I think there's an opportunity for us as church people and church leaders to reform our understanding of what does it mean to live in community, to be church family for one another? What does it mean to share our burdens, especially as we come out of COVID, as we talk about, well, I've really struggled with loneliness this year. I've really struggled with addictions or temptations because I've been alone by myself for however long and I didn't have anyone to hold me accountable. So I really hope as you continue to listen to this, maybe you can, maybe this will help you reframe the way you think about what does it mean to belong to a church and commit yourself to a, a church home? That's an excellent point. Excellent point. And yeah, the the whole, you know, approach of looking at the Bible as, you know, what what does it say to me? And the Bible is for me and my walk and my spiritual life and this, that, and the other is is really, in the scope of history, a very recent phenomenon. Um, you're probably talking about mm, since like the 1800s, has, has that really been sort of the focus, particularly in Western culture, of looking at the Bible. So we, we tend to individualize what the Bible is saying when in history prior to that, and really in the context of many of these passages, the Bible is not meant to be read that way or ingested that way. It is it is written to the community of God's people. Every now and then you will see something, for instance, Paul's letter to Philemon. That is an individual letter. Philemon is an individual person. However, scholars still think that, that the way it was written, it was meant to be read publicly. It would have been regarding uh, the church in Colossians um, or Colossae. Uh, and so a lot of people think that Paul probably wrote the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon and sent them in the same time and meant for them to be read together. And the fact that the the writing has been preserved for us is an indicator that the church did receive it, even though it was addressed individually to Philemon. The fact that it was preserved for us is an indicator that the church used it in worship, the church used it and benefited from it, because if it was, if it was just a, a one-to-one letter, it probably wouldn't, would not have been saved or preserved, because there were other writings of Paul that we don't have, that we know he wrote other things that weren't preserved. So the recognition of it as being beneficial for the church and being inspired helped that letter being seen as being something that, that should be added to the the scope of what we call the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to discount those times where people have genuinely been hurt or damaged by an unhealthy church. Um, but what I am talking about, much like you said, um, you're kind of hinting at this consumerism or consumeristic idea of church of, well, I just don't like the passages that they're using, or I don't like the music or whatever else. You know, I, I think when you commit to yourself to a church, you're willing to bear those things because there are things more valuable going on at the church, then, well, they don't wear ties and I want to wear a tie or some of these oh, other yeah. things. Absolutely. Um, because you, when you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament, right, Paul is talking to people who have like serious flaws, like people are like sinning bigly and hurting each other bigly. And in the case of Philemon, we have someone who owned someone else and he's like, yo, cut this out. This is not healthy. And it didn't break up the church. You didn't see a bunch of people be like, oh, well, I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm not being fed. You know, they, the whole idea is that we are going to live in Christ honoring community together. And sometimes it's going to be hard and there's going to be muck and mire that we're going to have to wade through, but we love God. We love Jesus and he loves us and he calls us to want love one another. And so I will love this place and give myself to this place because this is the place that God has provided for me. Yeah, absolutely. The community is, is very important. And in the Bible, when it talks about this, talks about we're considered the family of God. And the illustration I use a lot to sort of illustrate this idea that you're talking about is 
you know, you have your own family that you will go to and get together at holidays or, or whatever. And you might go to your mom's house for Thanksgiving and your mom might put macaroni and cheese or cobbler on the table. And you know what? Your wife might make better macaroni and cheese or better cobbler or whatever. You're still going to eat your mom's mac and cheese. You're still going to eat your mom's cobbler and you're not going to complain about it. You're just going to deal with mm-hmm. it because it's not about the food. It's about being with your family. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the way church is pictured in the scriptures is it's it's supposed to be a family. And we have indiv- individualized it so much that we have we have done the equivalent of saying, hey, you know what? Like my mom doesn't make good mac and cheese, so I'm just not going to go. I'm going to find somebody else's mom that makes better mac and cheese. That's kind of the way that we've approached church. And it's supposed to be family. Now, there are issues that can come up. There are legitimate theological disagreements. There are legitimate abuses that churches make that absolutely, like, there may come a time when you have to cut ties with a particular church over things like that. But when you're just talking about preferences, the Bible doesn't really have a scope for for people doing that. People didn't have the luxury to do that in the first century. And it's really a sign of the individualistic consumer 20 and 21st century mentality of Christians when, when you do see that. Now, again, do we want to knock that? I mean, that's a that's a result of the culture that we grow, in, grow up in and are raised in. But hopefully for Christians, when we talk about getting to a state of Christian maturity, you can be able to see this this way and handle things this way and understand that your church is a family. And just as your family, your real family has crazy uncles and imperfections and this, that, and the other, some of which you contribute to yourself, your church family is going to have that as well, even if the mac and cheese at the church down the street is better than, than the mac and cheese you can get at your mom's tables. And it's interesting that you say that because on the, the topic of food, we could talk about being tempted. And re- last weekend, we had that big picnic and we ended up bringing back like three big boxes of chips that were sitting on the table in our um, kitchen. And I will admit that I've probably had five or six bags of little chips in the past two days. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great way to segue. Into, I mean, we've all kind of dealt with temptation in the form of food, right? I think everybody, and particularly America, has has dealt with it that way. And so I think the easiest way to talk about temptation with an illustration is talk about it with food. So if you've ever been on a diet, uh, it never fails that when you are, you'll get an email, you know, hey, somebody left such and such cookies in the break room or whatever, or a neighbor will bring something over and like, you're like, oh man, this is fresh baked apple pie or whatever. And you just started a diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It always makes me think when we're talking about temptation, it always makes me think of this old SNL sketch with the, the Gap Girls, which was uh, Chris Farley, David Spade, and Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. And there's a great scene of them in a mall food court. And uh, Adam Sandler and David Spade are, are eating fries. And, and then Chris Farley just keeps swiping a fry. And <laughs> and he's uh, he he's uh, he's like, man, these fries are delicious. And David Spade was like, I thought you were on a diet. And, and Chris Farley reaches, reaches over and grabs him by the neck. And he goes, lay off me. I'm starving. And uh, it's just this really hilarious moment. It and, is hilarious. Uh, yeah, it always that's that always again when I think about temptation that that comes to mind. I've also recently seen a clip of a British television show, show where they were doing a social experiment with children and they placed a chocolate cake in a room with these kids and asked them not to touch it and they had one room full of girls and one room full of boys and um, one of the boys just absolutely could not <laughs> help himself the poor kids. So I think we've all dealt with this in some way, shape, or form mm-hmm. with food. And then I think in the 21st century West, you know, sex is a big temptation too. So, you know, you're talking about porn, you're talking about sex outside of a committed monogamous relationship, much less marriage. 
um, and things of those natures. And honestly, like sex was a big temptation in, in Paul's day as well. I mean, there were many Roman and Greek cities that had entire shrines that were dedicated to temple prostitution, where sex was a part of the religious rituals. So food and sex we are familiar with. And when we look at 1 Corinthians and what's going on in this church in Corinth in the first century, like, what are they dealing with? Well, let's take a look. Oh, guess what? It's food and sex. So this was a group that was tempted by this and several other things. And it all revolved around for them, they're perceived, um, they they would kind of excuse it all by saying like, well, we have freedom in Christ. And you've probably heard stuff like this before, like, hey, you know, Christ has come, we're free from the burdens of the law. We're not limited by... Um, food laws or ritual cleansing laws or anything like that. Um, Or some people will just say it more bluntly, um, God's going to forgive my sins anyway, right? And Paul is writing this letter to basically say, "Mm, hold up. And so he addresses this a bit in the book of Romans too, with the letters, with the letter to the Christians there. And this apparently was sort of a consistent theme with Paul and a persistent issue for the earliest churches, just as it is for us today. So um, a few of the problems that they were having, there was in Corinth, I mean, this church was a meth mess. One dude was sleeping with his stepmom. Uh, the church was just letting it happen. Not a big deal. The guy has freedom in Christ or whatever. There was another case where the church worship would include a time of feasting. So think of an old country church that has a potluck lunch after service each week. Or if you're a member of our young adult ministry, you know, every fifth Sunday, we'll have a huge potluck breakfast together. So something like that. And some people were using that as a time to engage in revelry or gorge themselves while other members of the church went hungry. We don't know exactly what they did, but there's indicators that perhaps there was some sort of sexual debauchery or morality going on. Perhaps very likely, probably there was a lot of uh, drunkenness or something like that going on. And the major, major issue that Paul is dealing with as well is what do we do with meat that is sacrificed to idols. So they they lived in a major Roman city. So this is Corinth, but it's a Roman city and it was full of pagan temples. And so the meat, when they would you go to the marketplace to purchase meat for your family to eat, almost assuredly was sacrificed to idols mm. in the pagan temples. So the church is asking Paul, like, what do we do about this? Some people at the church in Corinth are saying, it's okay, who cares? And others are saying, you absolutely should not eat it. It's an affront to God. And Paul's response is basically like, mm, Use your brain, okay? It depends on it depends on where you are. So this is where we get another popular verse that you've probably heard before from First Corinthians chapter ten, and it starts in verse twenty-three. This is Paul saying, "He says, you say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and everything in it." If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it then out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Now, this, it's important to note here, a lot of what Paul's doing here is using rhetorical questions, which Mm -hmm. means Paul is anticipating questions from his audience, and he is lobbing those out there so that he can answer them as well. So this isn't like, why should I care? But it's more like, why should I care? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say why. So in verse 31, he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to say, don't give offense to Jews or to Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. 
So for Paul, the context of the letter is your actions matter and what you do matters. So whatever you do, do it with the consideration of how it will lead or strengthen others to Christ. So Paul would say, yes, you have freedom in Christ. So if you're a Jewish person or you're a Gentile person who's come coming to this faith that is rooted in Judaism, and of course, Judaism, you have circumcision laws, you have um, food laws, you have ritual laws. Paul would say, yes, you have freedom in Christ to not do those things. But if you're in a crowd that includes a bunch of Jewish Christians who do honor those things and, and do have a conscience about those things, then then at least consider that. Um, don't just flaunt your freedom as a result of it, but consider that and be be considerate and be generous and be gracious and don't do what's best for you. Do what is best for those who you are with so that they may, honestly, so that it doesn't become a stumbling block for them and your witness of the Lord to them or your witness of the gospel to them. So as you might imagine, scenarios like this could provide a way for people to be easily tempted to do different things. And, and Paul is spending the first part of chapter 10 warning the Corinthians not to get overconfident that they can avoid temptation. He points out uh, how the Israelites cannot avoid it. He points out that, you know, they had the presence of God with them, leading them through the wilderness. So if they gave in, don't be so brash as to think that you can't. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had my friend Chad Poe on, and um, he had a quote I saw recently that he put out on Twitter where he said, we tend to think when we look at the Old Testament or we try to apply the Old Testament promises to us, we expect that we would have all the virtues of Israel and none of its vices. Um, and so what he means by that is we expect to get all the blessings of the Bible, but we don't expect to carry all the same problems that the people in the Bible that we see carry with them as well. And the Bible just plainly and clearly illustrates otherwise. And if you remember when we talked about Matthew 18 a few weeks back, the whole gist of kind of what's going on in that chapter is Jesus is saying, don't cause the children to stumble, get rid of anything that causes you to stumble, restore and forgive those who stumble. And so this is sort of the gist of Matthew 18. And this is really the gist of what Paul is trying to get at in, in 1 Corinthians 10. It's really about being considerate of others and being considerate of how my actions might influence others either for good or for bad and for their acceptance of the gospel or the rejection of the gospel. However, at the same time, he says, rest assured, you're not going to be tempted by anything that others haven't already be tempted by that God is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way out of that temptation. And another way to say that is you can't be tempted by anything that is not covered by the cross. God's not going to tempt you with anything that is beyond the scope of his salvation. So that's a little bit about what he's getting into here as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would like to know, you know, those of you who are listening and maybe have used this verse in the wrong way, as you're thinking, you know, what are, what are the types of things that you do to help you traverse temptation? What do you, what do, you do? You know, Paul emphasizes God will provide a way out. Um, well, what is that way? And even in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus does say, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, or because it's better for one to lose a body part than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Yeah, back to, you know, this passage, you are going to be burdened beyond what you can bear. So the question is, how do you deal with the temptation beyond what you can bear? And Paul emphasizes God will provide a way out. So what is that way? One way is to cut yourself off from the source of the temptation, like we talked about a few sec seconds ago with Matthew chapter 18. Jesus also summarizes this in the Sermon on the Mount that you just referenced, Sam, in Matthew 5.29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. The other way out is through friendships. And so we've talked about that before um, in this earlier on in this podcast and, and the idea of what it means to be part of a committed group, a committed family of faith and that sort of thing. And yes, there is a sense in that you know, small groups or even like micro groups where you're getting together with a group of friends for accountability at at a restaurant at six in the morning before work or wherever. Yes, those things are a part of this as well. Don't see, don't hear us saying they're not a part of that. 
But those things are not are not meant or supposed to replace ministry or 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 fellowship in in the larger church body as well. So those those things are an extension of the ministry of church, but they're not a replacement of the ministry of the church. Now, being a part of a church family, you are going to gravitate to some people more naturally to others, and hopefully, with those that you gravitate to, you get to a level of comfort with them where you can challenge one another on on things that that you need to be challenged on. And so, this is the other way out. These kind of friendships and developing these. And so when Paul says nothing will seize you except what is common to man, that's that's sort of a clue uh, to this because there are other people who are dealing with what you are going to deal with. You're not special. You're not weird. Someone else is struggling with this and has either overcome it and they can help you do the same or they can walk with you to overcome it together. So why does God give us the community of believers? It is to establish these deep, meaningful relationships with one another and to be free to hold one another accountable. This is the way to do it. Like, there's no magic spell. Like, you, you can't. There's so many people that I hear that'll say, like, I prayed about this, this, and this, and I asked God to take it away, and God didn't take it away. So I guess I'm just going to deal with it. Yes and no. I mean, you know, we we talked about First Corinthians 12 earlier, where Paul asked for the thorn to be removed, and God said, "My grace is sufficient for you." But that's not the recipe for it. And getting deeper involved in ministry is not the re- recipe for it. It's getting invested in these relationships. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's belonging to a community of believers and using that to challenge you. Challenge you. Sometimes you're going to rub each other the wrong way, like two pieces of sandpaper, but that's meant to be a part of it. And it's meant to be a part of what God uses to help grow you. And again, this is a test that not just in the church, but outside the church, like relationships and these sort of challenging relationships are what work. When we look at Alcoholics Anonymous, when you look at Weight Watchers, when you look at other addiction groups, all of them, all of them, Use a model of friendship groups and accountability groups because it's not about the formula. I mean, the formula is nice and the formula kind of gives the accountability group a, a structure to walk through, but it is about walking through it together. All of them will tell you, you will be more successful at this if you do it in an accountability group, if you do it in a friend group. You cannot do this alone and you were not designed to do it alone. So about 20 years ago, uh, so people my age will remember this. If you're not my age, you probably have no idea what I was talking about. But there was an artist named Rich Mullins. He died tragically in a car accident when I was a freshman in college. But at the time, he was sort of the Lauren Daigle of the time. He didn't have the crossover appeal that she has. But as far as like popularity in Christian circles and that sort of thing, he was super. Like everybody knew who Rich Mullins was. Everybody loved his music. And he had very thoughtful lyrics that were honest about dealing with the struggles of the Christian life. He had one song where the the lyrics said this. He said, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small. And I wake up in the night and feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul. I swear there must be blisters on my heart. Surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. And I beat my head against so many walls. Now I'm falling down. I'm falling on my knees. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been my king of glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Now, many people don't know the story behind the song. Rich Mullins confessed once that he struggled with pornography when he was touring on the road. And he confessed it to a friend. And his friend said to him, look, if you can't trust yourself to be alone, then don't be alone. And so Rich Mullins was unmarried and began to take friends along with him on the road to keep him accountable and to keep him occupied. And one night on a tour, he wound up in Amsterdam 
and he confessed later that he was hoping that his friend would fall into a deep sleep and start snoring so that, as Rich Mullins put it, uh, he, he was quoted as saying, maybe it would be fun to just take a walk and, and be tempted by the streets of Amsterdam. So that was kind of his plan, and he waited until he stayed up till 5 a.m. waiting for his friend to start snoring and fall deep asleep, but his friend never did. And in the midst of all this turmoil is when he wrote these words that I just read. In this war, in this conflict that was raging in his soul, he, he got out his journal and he, he wrote the lyrics that I just shared. Hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been my king of glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? This, this struggle, this desire for peace comes through in his lyrics that he, that he wrote. And it's all a part of that, that story of his pleading with Jesus to settle his soul. But again, the component was the friendship that he developed. His friend being in the room is, is what kept him from going out and succumbing to that temptation. So a part of that pleading, a part of that settling in peace was investing in that friendship. And it wasn't easy. He still struggled with it. But because that friend was there, he didn't succumb to that temptation. And again, there's no temptation that was given to him that isn't given to others. There's no temptation given to him that is beyond the burden or beyond the power of the cross. And God provides a way out. And for Rich Mullins, that was his way out, was having that friend there that held him accountable and that kept him in that room. That doesn't mean it was easy. That doesn't mean it wasn't a burden for him that he couldn't bear. But it does mean that it was a temptation that God provided a way out of and that wasn't even, if he, even if he did succumb to it, it's not greater than the power of the cross. So that's really what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is about. No temptation will present itself to you that isn't something that others already deal with. You're not going to be faced with something that you can't overcome. There's going to be a way out. And that way out is to take that temptation head on, to lean on others who can help you walk through it. And, and if you're looking for a place where you can do that, I encourage you to check us out at fbchsv.org slash young adults. We'd love to plug you in with a small group where you can invest in friendships and relationships. And hopefully, if you're one of ours who is a member of one of those groups, you can you can be blatantly honest. I hope you can find some friends where you can share these sorts of things with. So, Sam, any words there? Yeah. No, I, just to you know, add to what you said, you know, take refuge in Jesus. Trust that there's nothing in your life that Jesus can't help walk you through, but don't do it alone, right? None of this text, none of these texts that we've covered say do it alone. They say do it with friends. And if you're one of our people, you know, to echo what John said, if you're not one of our people, come check us out. We'd love to get to know you. There's a place for you here. And if you happen to be one of our people and you say, well, I just went through COVID and I feel really alone, I just want you to ask yourself, is it because nobody's reached out to you or because church was just something that you did for a long time and not necessarily a home that you made for yourself? So maybe this is the time where you say, you know what, for the first time, I want this community of people to become my real family and I want to take chances and I want to be vulnerable with them and I want it to be more than just something I do once a week. And I pray that if you do that, then you will find these relationships and God will illuminate people in your life where you say, I know I can trust them and I know they'll bear my burdens with me and they'll walk through life with me. And I think that's you know what Paul is getting at here. And I think this is what Christ intends when he gifted us the church. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some things your friends can't handle and that's okay as well. I mean, I, I, I use this illustration a lot with people, you know, if you, if you cut yourself, your friends can put a bandaid on you. Right. But if you, if you lose a limb entirely, like your friends can't help you there. And, and, and that's where you say, okay, I need to call 911 or I need to go see a professional doctor or that sort of thing. And, and, and it's the same case when we talk about our struggles and our burdens and our emotional and mental health as well. There are certain things your friends can absolutely help you carry the burden on. And there are other things that if it's really a heavy burden, if it's really a, you know, the equivalent to that, you know, losing a limb or whatever, 
then professional help is appropriate and it is okay. And there are resources like the Vine Counseling Center that we've we've talked about several other times on this episode or on this uh, series, Sam, that are good resources that do the same thing as sharing in, in the caring of your burdens and sharing in um, that growth process for you. But they do it from a perspective where you have professional credential counselors who can help with sort of those bigger issues that that it's really kind of unfair to lean on with your your friends with. So, and that's okay too. So, mm-hmm. so if that is a need uh, in your life, there are good places to turn and don't be ashamed of turning to those. And of course, Sam and I could help you find uh, any of those kinds of places if, uh, if that's ever a need. So, uh, as we close, you know, like we said uh, earlier on in this episode, if you have a question about a particular verse that we haven't spoken about, or maybe you have something you'd like us to clarify or elaborate on in this series, then send it to us. We'd love to do a Q&A show to wrap all this up. If you listen today's, to, the, to today's episode and you liked and enjoyed this, please rate us on Spotify, rate and review us on podcast Apple Podcasts. Sam, last I checked there, we have 13 five-star reviews. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Let's get up to 14 or 15. So if you're out there and you haven't given us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts yet, please do that for us. And then share this on social media as well. We'd love for uh, more people to hear the word about uh, what we're sharing here. I also want to give a special thanks to Patrick Chester again for doing our audio engineering and our show production. Ellen Christian for doing our artwork for the series. And again, Sam Maxwell, as always, for killing it with the show notes every week. Next week, we're going to take a look at John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, which say, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So we'll look at that next week. Until then, y'all take care and we will catch you next time. talking about the story uh, about the the artist right so as we're talking about what do you do oh, to bird for uh, you're trying to segue me into my bed <laughs> patrick cut this out man <laughs> <laughs>